0: Hello and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George.
1: And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery was written by Stephen King and published in 1983.
0: And the film adaptation was directed by a person. <laughs> who I'm looking up now.
1: Mary something.
0: Mary something. It definitely came out in 1989, though. Yeah. Because I definitely wrote that part down. (laughs) It was directed by, drum roll, Mary Lambert.
1: Mary Lambert. Mm Mm-hmm. And the screenplay was written by Stephen King.
0: Yeah, he, uh, I think this was the first screenplay he wrote uh, of his own adaptation, of his own work. And he was very adamant that they stick to it very closely, I read. Yeah. Probably, especially the part that he put himself in as the preacher. (laughs)
1: He's like, I need to be in it.
0: He's like a roguishly handsome priest. (laughs) uh, With
1: giant glasses.
0: huge glasses (laughs) and a weird little button nose. (laughs) And enormous jaw. That's
1: Stephen King. That's
0: definitely him. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, to catch everyone up for October, or at least... The next two episodes this one and the next we are doing scary movies in preparation for halloween
1: yeah it's awesome so for the next two episodes this one and then the next one which will actually the next one comes out on halloween yeah um it'll be scary stuff so for this one we're doing pet cemetery one of stephen king's most scary books mm-hmm. and then our next episode is going to be on the exorcist Mm-hmm.
0: and this is actually kind of no, this book's actually kind of a little notorious uh pet cemetery because it's the one book Stephen King has said is like the scariest to him. Mm-hmm. And he actually didn't even want to publish it, apparently. I
1: did read that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He that he wrote it and then kind of discarded it. And then they needed another book for some reason.
0: He was uh, contractually obligated. He was going to switch uh, publishers, I think. Okay. But he was contractually obligated to give one more book to them. Mm-hmm. And so he had this book that he had written but shelved because he it was too kind of twisted and dark and scary and like didn't want to release it but he was like "Eh, I kind of don't want to write a new one for this publishing company so he just kind of gave them that
1: yeah interesting and it is a lot darker well I don't know if it's darker than his other books but it definitely like it descends and then it does not like come back up at all no uh
0: spirals (laughs)
1: spirals are kind
0: of a theme of the story yeah and it definitely uh mimics a a downward spiral yeah into madness
1: Mm
0: -hmm. another interesting little uh factoid is that this book is kind of inspired by a lot of things that were actually actually happened to stephen king or were connected to his life oh really so he had moved to maine to teach the local college and his family moved to a house that was on a very busy road Mm. where a lot of trucks went by and they lived near pet cemetery
1: which for the
0: same reason like a lot of animals were killed on this road so there's a pet cemetery
1: oh my god uh his
0: cat was killed on the road and there was an incident one day where like his son started running towards the road and he had to chase after him and, like, tackle him.
1: Oh, my God.
0: And, like, he just was thinking, like, oh, my God, what ha- would happened if I, like, didn't catch him? Yeah. Or I think his son fell, like, one of those two. Yeah. But, like, that kind of, all these little tidbits. Also, there was an elderly neighbor across the street. So, wow. So,
1: you know. Could um, this have happened to Stephen happened? King in another life?
0: It, it very well could have. Wow. Mm-hmm. Assume. He, he
1: writes sometimes from his own personal stuff going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, especially when he's all hopped up on drugs, I think.
1: Yeah. This was uh, <laughs> probably in the middle of his cocaine and drinking phase. His
0: Cocaine. Yeah. Yeah.
1: The eighties, seventies uh, uh, and eighties.
0: Mm-hmm, Cause Christine, uh, another book that we did an episode on. Yeah. If you're a King fan, mm-hmm. Christine was like our fourth episode that we did. Yeah. And so we're continuing the tradition of avoiding his, most famous adaptations of *Misery* and *The Shining*.
1: Yes, we'll get there.
0: We'll get there eventually. Yeah. And but yeah, he was notoriously in a coked, boozed state for most of the '80s.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just most of the.
0: Yeah, all through. It's all a blur to him. Yeah. Yeah. So just there's some personal connections with him. to yeah. this story.
1: I'm excited to talk about this. I'm also kind of out of my comfort zone here. I mean, I've read Stephen other Stephen King books, and I do like him. But I Oh, my God, I hate scary things. <laughs> like I don't like scary movies. And you know what, maybe it's Judgmental for me to say that people that like scary movies are terrible. No, I'm just kidding. They're not terrible. I just don't understand. Twisted, (laughs) disturbed
0: humans who enjoy suffering. Human suffering. Yeah.
1: No, I I mean I get like the entertainment value of it and how I think humans do like to be scared in a lot of ways. But this human does not like (laughs) to be scared. Um I like the idea of horror and Something a little scary. It is exciting. But then when I get there, like we were watching this movie and yeah. this movie was not scary. No, <laughs> it was not. But I still found myself closing my eyes and like literally covering my face like a baby.
0: I was quite surprised because I thought this would be a clean, easy.
1: I, I just get like I get so. uh I, I just can't look sometimes yeah. at certain things, especially things that are gory or images that are very frightening. It's just, I don't know why. And I think a lot of the reason why I am so bad with horror is that um, I was very sheltered as a child. Yeah. Um, in both my reading and my viewing, but more in like movies that I watched. And my parents didn't like horror and they were very, very religious. So horror was almost like, an antithesis to like what everything that they believed in.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um
1: so I never really watched any horror. So when you grow up your whole life never being exposed to that, you watch something that's kind of like can't mm-hmm. be bad and you're still like afraid. <laughs> How do you deal
0: with uh, scary books though as like a contrast?
1: So, it depends because in a lot of ways books can be scarier to me, but I find that they don't really linger as much mm-hmm. with me in my mind. Um, I always say that reading The Shining, The Shining was the scariest book I've ever read. Yeah. It it was really frightening. And this book was kind of scary too, but I I wasn't really as affected. And I also tried not to read it like right before bed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that helped a lot too. But, um, I don't know with books, unless they're very, very, very like intense and have very visual images in them, it doesn't really stick in my brain. Yeah.
0: I have a weird relationship with horror because uh, I've never enjoyed it. But lately, a lot of good horror movies have been coming out. Yeah. Uh, Get Out, Hereditary. I don't know if
1: I'd call Get Out a horror.
0: No. I mean, yeah, it's more of a thriller. But yeah. it has horror tropes in it for sure. Because I can
1: watch Get Out and I'm fine.
0: Sure. Uh, it's more suspenseful, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, what was... um. It follows yeah. uh, just a lot of kind of more art house horror films have been coming out. And the movie lover in me is like, I don't want to be missing out on a whole genre yeah, because that's I'm true. kind of scared. Mm-hmm. So I've been pushing myself a little bit more uh, to watch horror movies. Like I, I made myself watch hereditary recently, oh which was terrifying, especially at the end, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I do kind of have that bit of an inner enjoyment of being scared like yeah. I kind of I kind of toe that line like reading Pet Cemetery, there were points where I'm like you know I want to read this when it's dark and kind of just get
1: in that mood I want to
0: feel it you yeah. know what I mean and I feel like that's part of the enjoyment of horror movies and that if I don't allow myself to be scared by them then am I really getting the whole experience yeah you know, so that's like why I wanted to watch Hereditary at night by myself. I kind of wanted to yeah. enjoy those scares a little bit. So but I also hate it. So
1: <laughs> I think with me, I've had plenty of examples of what happens to me when I do watch them. Yeah. And get really into them. Uh, Ian and I watched It Follows one night together because we're like, let's do it. Let's just watch it. <laughs> and we got to this really scary part and i we had to turn it off like i i was like i can't keep watching it
0: we were both just and it's weird i feel like watching a horror movie with you makes me more afraid <laughs> it does it really does i can't explain maybe it maybe i
1: get you in the mood <laughs> i think
0: i'm like absorbing your real fear <laughs> like it's not comforting yeah. to watch a horror movie with you i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of people, it's like, oh, I'm in a group. I'm safe. Yeah. In this situation, I'm like, Adina's really freaked out. <laughs> Adina
1: believes this is real. Yeah. Now I'm starting to think it's real. <laughs> but that night, so we turned it off. No. We didn't watch the rest of it. But that night, I had a horrible nightmare. And it was very terrifying for me. And then for like a month after that, every time I went to the bathroom, I would just like see the like dead people. Yeah. That it follows like possesses, Mm -hmm. like in the shadows. It was terrifying. Oh, man. I was like, I can't do this. I can't live this life. But (laughs) here I am.
0: (laughs) Here you are. Pushing myself
1: a little bit out of my comfort zone. And this movie wasn't that scary, so we're good. (laughs) No, the the
0: movie was definitely not. We'll get into it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, Hemingway, let's get into the plot a little bit. This is... Uh, classic 80s Stephen King. Yep. So put yourself in that 80s mindset. Mm-hmm. But it starts off with the Creed family, and it consists of your typical uh, family elements. You have Lewis, the father.
1: Mm-hmm. Rachel, He's a doctor.
0: The, uh, who's a doctor. Rachel, the mother, mm-hmm. who's a stay-at-home mom. Yep. And then there are two children, Ellie, who's five. Yeah. And Gage, a young boy who of two. Yes. And they have just moved to Maine, Big surprise, given it's Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> and Lewis it has taken up a uh, a position at the local university as their doctor. Yeah, as their kind of uh, the
1: on-site staff doctor.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so they move to this new town, Ludlow, and they have to move onto a very busy street with a lot of trucks going by. Yeah. And so this is kind of our introductory setup.
1: Mm-hmm. And once they get there. They're pretty much right away introduced to their neighbor across the street, um, which is Judd and his wife Norma. And they're elderly; Judd is like eighty something. Um, and Judd has the honor of telling them, like, "Oh, watch the road! Like, lots of pets die on this road. Like, it's very, you know, yeah. dangerous." foreshadowing foreshadowing um and then he and uh lewis jen lewis kind of form this bond where they start hanging out together and i think lewis sort of looks to judd kind of like a father
0: yeah the book starts off in a really interesting way i think it's like the first lines are saying as a grown man you never expect to meet the befriend the man who you think should have been your father yeah But that's kind of what he found in Mm Judd. So this relationship between him and Judd is very much a focal point of the story. And that's how we're introduced to it in the book. Yeah. Uh, Before they even meet, he's kind of like, I meet this guy who
1: becomes like a friend. Yeah. Yeah. But kind
0: of a paternal figure. (laughs) I laugh so much because in the book, uh, things are going crazy. With them just arriving at this new house, yeah. Gage, their son, gets stuck, but stung by a bee, and that's when Judd shows up mm-hmm. to kind of like take the stinger out and be all nice and folksy, save the day. The movie starts off with Gage. Talk about foreshadowing. Gage literally starts the movie by tra- wandering onto the middle of the road, yeah. in front of an oncoming truck, yeah, and Judd swoops in and saves him. <laughs> and the parents were like, "Oh my god." We'll never let this happen again. And
1: they're like, I wonder, uh, too bad that we can't like stop this from happening by like putting in a fence. (laughs) What what
0: are we going to do? Watch your children closely near a busy road.
1: Yeah. Like there's nothing we can do. (laughs) Uh, So pretty soon into the story, um, Judd takes them on a walk. Ellie notices this pathway in the back of their property that's really well mown and tended and kind of goes into the woods. In the movie, there's like stones kind of along it, so it's a very traditional path. And he's like, oh, I'll take you guys up there. Um, And the whole family walks up. Judd takes them. And he's like, here we are. It's the pet cemetery.
0: Yeah. Uh, Creepy, creepy pet cemetery right on your property. It's super weird, though, because he says that kids, like neighborhood kids, yeah, tend to the path and to the pet cemetery. But you never see...
1: Like, they never talk about kids being up there.
0: No. And it's very odd to be like, yeah, kids are going to show up on your property and... (laughs) With a mower. With a mower (laughs) and mow this path up to... Don't worry, they're just burying their dead pets in your woods. I
1: thought the whole time that they were going to reveal that Jed was the one tending to it. Yeah.
0: Do you think... That was just an excuse? Do you think, like, the path always exists as, like, a supernatural thing? Yeah,
1: maybe it's, like, it tends itself. hmm I don't know, because you never... Like, he says that the kids tend it, but then you, well, there's no evidence of that.
0: No. Also, there's kind of a general... I never got a good sense of what this town area was like
1: no so he talks about just the house and the like campus
0: yeah because he talks about judd living directly across the street from him and they mention a neighbor lady's field that they're kind of in yeah but they never talk about neighbors on either side so you picture they're not being really houses
1: no it seems like they're out in the country yeah
0: but i don't think that's necessarily true
1: yeah because like wouldn't the kids have to be able to get there to like Bury their pets there? Like, shouldn't that be like a walkable or a bikeable distance? Mm -hmm. Especially if kids, because these markers from the pet cemetery date back like all the way to the turn of the century. Yeah. So you're like, I mean, people had to be able to walk there.
0: Yeah, and they wouldn't put the pet cemetery way out of the way. Of where people live and yeah. where the pets are. I don't know. It was just a weird thing where I never really got a good sense of the this, layout, the the layout in the town because it's kind of important. It is. Uh, the the, the the community aspect is a important element of the story, but I just never got a grasp of that in the book or the movie.
1: No, me either. Um. So Judge shows the pet cemetery to them. It's very creepy. You know, it's got little markers that kids have written. Their, creepy their rhymes on <laughs> I'm like why would this kid write this i don't know but uh, ellie is there and you can tell that rachel is sort of disturbed by the place and they you know they brought gage and ellie there so they kind of quickly leave
0: yeah they're like peace
1: <laughs> like, this is kind of creepy let's go
0: yeah uh the movie plays judd Kind of in a very creepy way.
1: Yeah, especially at the beginning.
0: Yeah, which is a little odd. It's very different than in the book where he's he's very friendly. And he's, yeah. he's kind of very intuitive and kind of knows when to talk about things and when not to. Uh, but the movie definitely plays him off as a creepy... I don't know, old man across the road in a, yeah, in a like creepy old house Introducing kind of thing. this
1: evil into their lives. Yeah. yeah,
0: a bit. There's just kind of a, a definite contrast in the character of Judd in that way, I feel.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, cut to um, Lewis's first day.
1: First day as, at the campus. As a
0: university doctor, where a jogger who was hit by a car and thrown into a tree gets dragged in to the clinic or yeah. wh- whatever it is they're at uh, and is... Like his head is just exploded. Yeah.
1: Like his brain is oozing out.
0: <laughs> hmm. And it's a very. The the book did a really good job of kind of describing this really kind of traumatic scene and it being very overwhelming and, and hectic. chaos.
1: Everyone not knowing what to do. People screaming and crying. And Lewis kind of takes charge. He tell he gives everyone direction, tells them what to do. And he ends up alone with this uh, young man who we find out his name is Pascal. And he's with him, and he kind of knows that... He's like, I told these people to get the ambulance, but I know it's too late. Like, I know he's not going to make it.
0: <laughs> In the movie, he puts an oxygen mask on him yeah, and gives it, like, two quick puffs. yeah. And then when everyone's out of the room, he's like, ah, fuck it. Yeah, and he like, just sits ah, down. He's I'm like, you're, you're dead. <laughs> Sorry, kid.
1: Then but- Pascal takes that opportunity to give his dying words to Lewis.
0: Which is... A very creepy, ominous warning. Yeah. Starting off with, uh, the soil of a man's heart is stonier. Yeah. He's like, what? He's like, Lewis. And he's like, what? How
1: do you know my name? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he's like, it's not the real cemetery.
0: There's another one behind it. Yeah. But don't go there.
1: (laughs) There's a barrier.
0: Yeah. Don't don't break the barrier. Yeah. And Lewis is just really freaked out. Yeah. And the kid dies on him. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's trying to rationalize. He's like, I was hearing things. I was in a stressful situation. But also he's like, I'm a doctor. I wasn't that stressed out. I've seen this shit before. Mm -hmm. And so he's like really trying to process and rationalize what happened.
1: Yeah. And that night he goes to bed and wakes up and Pasco is there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, this is a dream.
0: Like, creepy, dead Pascal with the hole still in his head. Yeah. His jogging shorts still on. hmm And Louis has just kind of... His wife hasn't woken up. And Louis is like, you know what? Let's see where this dream goes. I'm in a dream. It's Let's fine. see where this wild, wacky dream goes.
1: <laughs> so he follows Pascal, and they walk up to the Pet cemetery, And it's very creepy. Like, there's mist. It's dark. And then... He Pascal gives him this like even clearer warning and he points to visual
0: aids, (laughs) visual
1: aid warning. He points to this like kind of they call it a deadfall. And I wasn't sure what this was until they described it a little bit more. It's just like a bunch of dead trees all piled up together. um, And it's very dangerous. You shouldn't try to cross them because like the pile can shift and you can like break your leg basically. Yeah. But he's he's kind of like this is the barrier between like the spirit world kind of and like some kind of evil and it can't be penetrated like don't try
0: it's odd because and this is my first like whenever they go to this other burial ground because surprise they go to one yeah they always go over this deadfall because there is kind of a way to go over it i'm always like i I try to visualize i'm like is there no way around that
1: yeah can't they like walk like i'm sure
0: there's bushes but i mean come (laughs) on and at one point, way later in the book, uh, Judd thinks to himself, "There are other ways to get to the the Micmac burying ground." Yeah, is that what it is? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. <laughs> when yeah. I
0: said it, saying it out loud sounds stupid. Micmac, Micmac, paddywhack, and so he's like, "But he, but you know, so there are other ways to get there. This isn't just the only barrier. Yeah. It, it's more symbolic than anything." And, it I, is. I, and I and I get that. But then when he says there are other ways to get there, I was like, well, then what's the point of scaling this thing?
1: And it's also kind of like, as Pascal is warning him about this, this is something that is not even on Lewis's radar at all. So it's almost like as he warns him, it almost like plants the idea in his mind. Yeah. And this is like a classic motif or theme in these types of stories mm-hmm. that you get like a warning. And then that warning kind of makes you want to do it because yeah. you were told to not to do it.
0: It's like with a kid. It's like, don't yeah. draw on the wall with a crayon. And the kid's like, I mean,
1: now that you told me about I it, I wasn't even that considering that. That sounds really great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> hey, now that you, you say that, it sounds awesome.
1: <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. And Lewis ends up waking up from this dream and he's like, oh, great. It was just a dream. And then surprise, jumps out of bed and his feet are very muddy and have pine needles all over them.
0: Bum, bum,
1: bum. Bum, bum,
0: bum. Uh, so little factoid, this is the first Stephen King I ever read. And not only that, I read this when I was like. Wow. Between, I think like sixth and seventh grade. Dang. Because... uh. The first kind of adult book I ever read was Da Vinci Code, which was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Cause my sixth grade teacher, who was awesome, lent me a copy. Yeah. <laughs> but then that Christmas after this, my dad gave me a copy of The Shining and a copy of Pet Cemetery. Because he was a huge Stephen King fan. Yeah. So he was like, Now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> so he gifted me a copy of each. And it was actually that copy of Pet Cemetery I got to read again. Yeah. So that was really a nice memory. Mm-hmm. And I like even distinctly remember reading this in the car, like at Walmart one time. <laughs> uh, but it was funny to reread it because a lot of these moments and my feelings towards them.
1: They were, coming were back still to there. You. Yeah, yeah, they were
0: still, I remember specifically the bed slip where he like takes the covers off and his feet are muddy yeah. with pine needles. And at the time I was like, whoa, <laughs> 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 like it's very shocking mm-hmm. to a 12 year old. Uh, not to mention the the kind of more sexy parts of the story.
1: There's like a lot of sexy parts in this.
0: There are. Like. And it was both enlightening and confusing <laughs> to a young boy of 12. As it is
1: whenever you read sexual things as a child. I feel like uh, since my parents didn't really talk to me that much about sex and I didn't really have a lot of sexual education in the public school system... <laughs> um most, as we all do most of my knowledge about sex came from books same um especially because I was very restricted on what I could watch so books were a lot more informative for me yeah so I would just like piece things together like they would reference this one thing and I'd be like okay what is that yeah and then like yeah. in another book they would give it a little more detail or they would talk about something else and I, I would just I was creating this like Uh, A tapestry, yes, with like the string connecting, and I'm like, where is it? (laughs) What is the female detective (laughs) trying
0: to catch, like the mystery? Yes, like who does it all lead to? What is
1: sex? I don't understand. (laughs) There's
0: just a silhouette of a vagina on a piece of paper with a question mark on it.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah,
0: no, it is between that and like rumors you hear in school mm-hmm. and you like write them down you're like um mm, uh you know kyle says this but i'm very but also I'm very kyle's a piece of shit, suspicious. So. <laughs> yeah i'm very suspicious of this i'm not sure i believe him i'll have to investigate
1: further
0: <laughs> yeah because this book like not specifically talks about rachel giving lewis a hand job yeah and other sexual acts like vaguely so you're kind of like I kind of know what they're doing, but I'm kind of not sure.
1: <laughs> that's great.
0: More research is required. <laughs> so yeah, that's a little bit of my history with this story.
1: Uh quick little segue into the movie. Yeah,
0: we gotta we gotta talk about this movie a bit.
1: Uh the actors. <laughs> <laughs>
0: huge air quotes actors actors
1: um the guy that plays lewis what's his name didn't you write it down i did
0: write it down uh uh dale midkiff
1: dale midkiff he has like the face of a wall like it's just (laughs) nothing is there
0: he's like clearance rack white father
1: yeah he's so generic so boring even when he's upset i just laugh Because it's so unbelievable and I don't, like, it's so dumb. I don't like him.
0: During the dream sequence, he's, like, freaking out and he curls up into a ball. And he's like, it's just a dream. It's just a dream or something like that. Yeah. And it's just laughable. You just don't believe it. No. Yeah.
1: It's weird. I don't like him. And since he's the main character and the main um, sense of grief and the person that we're supposed to empathize with the most, it was really tough for me to get... Behind this movie yeah. just because of him.
0: Yeah. And uh, it doesn't help that the movie is filmed horribly. Yeah. Like the lighting and the way it's filmed just feels like a, a TV movie. Yeah. And I was really questioning at one point, like, was this a made for
1: TV movie? But I don't think it, it was. It felt like it. It felt did, like a though. Lifetime movie. It
0: did. It really did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The guy who plays Judd, Fred Gwynn. Oh yeah, is decent.
1: Yeah, he's pretty good. I mean, he works with what he has. Yeah. Um, I knew him from the Munsters. Yeah, plays, yeah, uh, the Frankenstein dad character. But uh, he has this ridiculous main <laughs> accent, and it's like it's true to the book because like he's always talking like that in the book. Yeah. But I don't know. I feel like this is one of those things that they should have just. They're like, it doesn't translate well in the movie. It's Let's really hard to it. understand
0: the it point. Yeah. And this character, like, to remind, like, I had to remind myself, like, this movie was significant in a way to, like, pop culture. Yeah. Because anyone who watches South Park or has seen South Park, they have a character based off Judd, <laughs> where if anything creepy or weird is happening, yeah. he shows up and he's like, Older guy with like white hair and a straw hat and
1: overalls, overalls,
0: and he's like, "Oh, no one's been down that road for twenty years. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to kill him, you gotta kill him good." Like
1: he just (laughs) has like
0: weird like
1: accent.
0: Children mow the path. Like (laughs) it's kind of the weird inflection, but like that character.
1: I love your impression.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's. What it is. Uh, But yeah, that South Park character is based off Judd from this movie. So this movie.
1: Oh, it had a cultural impact for sure. It
0: did for sure. But that doesn't mean it's good. No,
1: it does not. (laughs) And it's not. The
0: acting, for one.
1: The best actor in this movie is Gage.
0: Gage, Yeah, The two-year-old
1: child. He is amazing. He is so cute. He's
0: so cute. He like
1: laughs. And then he like is so adorable and says so like mommy or dad it's adorable. I love him. And then somehow they get him to be like creepy later on. Mm-hmm. It's wow, it's shocking.
0: Yeah, I read that so uh and the girl who plays Ellie is also good. Yeah, she's pretty good. Or should I say girls because oh, really? it was twins who oh, played her. Huh. And that's actually pretty common for movies because I think the rules are tighter on, like, how long you can make a child actor work. Oh, yeah. So, like, if we have two of them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently they wanted to do that with Gage also. Mm -hmm. But the director found this child uh, actor to play Gage, and she was like, he's the one. We got to go with him. Yeah. I know he doesn't have a clone, (laughs) but... (laughs) So... Uh, the kid, uh, yeah, the kid who plays Gage is really, really good. He
1: is. He's the best. The children are one. the best actors <laughs> in this whole movie, no yeah, doubt. Yeah, uh, So stuff happens, whatever, whatever. And then Thanksgiving rolls around. Rachel takes the kids to go see her parents because Lewis and Rachel's parents don't get along. Yeah, they don't approve of him. So they go to celebrate Thanksgiving without him. And so Lewis stays. He has Thanksgiving dinner with Judd and Norma. And then the next morning, uh, he finds out that, uh, Ellie's cat, which we haven't mentioned yet, but Ellie had a cat, uh, got run over.
0: Winston Churchill.
1: Winston Churchill, or church, as they called him.
0: Yeah. They find him, uh, plastered on the side of a road, hit by a car. Yeah. And so, whoops, uh, he, you know, Judd is there. Judd's actually the one who calls him. Yeah. And... Judd tells him, like, oh, you're going to, you know, go bury the cat. And he's like, probably. And Judd's like, don't tell Ellie just yet. I want to take you somewhere.
1: Yeah. Because uh,
0: in the book, at least, uh, his wife, Norma, suffered a a heart attack. Yeah. And Lewis was there to help her. Mm -hmm. And so the rationalization in the book that Judd has is.
1: I'm going to repay the favor.
0: Yeah. You really you really helped me. You saved my wife's life. I'm going to help you. Yeah. So where do you think they go, Adina?
1: I don't know. Where maybe, in the
0: book Pet Cemetery?
1: Maybe they go to the Pet Cemetery and then they go over the Deadfall, which Pascal told them not to. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: and Lewis is just like, okay,
1: sure. I'm not gonna remember that really creepy and like real dream that I had.
0: Yeah. So they go over the Deadfall, travel, travel, travel. Uh, they go through Little God Swamp. Yeah. Which is very creepy and weird and ominous.
1: And Judd is like. You might see things, but it's just like a mirage. Just the loons. you might hear voices, but it's a loon.
0: (laughs) And at one point, there's this like huge crashing thud of like footsteps. Yeah. And then they disappear and Judd's like, yep, just some loons. You know
1: those loons. (laughs) And there's like this maniacal laughter.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. The book. That was so creepy. It's just like
1: high and, like, loud, and it just keeps going. And then Judd's like, that's when Judd is like, oh, no, this, those loons, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lewis is like,
1: what And the Lewis fuck? is like, the, that is not a loon. Yeah. Um. But then they come to this, like, rock face, and they climb up these steps, and they make it to this plateau area mm-hmm. at the top. And there's all these, um, they call them cairns. Is that how you yeah. say it? Yeah,
0: cairns, cairns.
1: Yeah. Um. Where... There are these rock formations that are built up, and they're burial stones, basically.
0: Yeah, and this was a burial site for the Mi'kmaq Indians. Yeah. Can we talk for a minute (laughs) about uh, this common trope, yes, specifically in horror movies, about cursed Indian burial sites and just... This mysticism relating to uh, indigenous people yes. of Northern America.
1: You know, I wonder if a lot of this goes back to, like, uh, internalized white guilt. Hmm. Um, just feeling, like, bad about, like, what happened to the Indians and kind of making this, like alternate reality where they get some kind of revenge yeah but as they're doing it they're like fetishizing the native people and then also putting them in this role that they never had to begin with
0: no uh now i will say i think pet cemetery gets by a little smoother than other stories because they do talk about judd over the course of the book talking about this location yeah kind of talks about like it wasn't the, the indigenous people didn't curse the land yeah. or anything. It was just kind of always there. It just kind of existed. Mm-hmm. And the Mi'kmaq Indians just kind of used it yeah. to an extent until the ground went sour.
1: Something happened. And
0: they stopped.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in my mind, I think more than anything, I, I do think Stephen King was kind of riding the, uh, like you said, fetishized mysticism yes. of uh, indigenous people. But, I think he was also kind of just using it as a time marker to make it like this is old. Yes. The thing that exists here is very old. Mm -hmm. Like even the Native Americans remember it. Yeah. So, you know, it wasn't them being magical peoples or anything, uh, but it still kind of falls into that trope pretty well. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if you had thoughts that were different or not. but No,
1: pretty much that. And just that idea of that white guilt i think coming in yeah
0: that that's kind of i hadn't put those two things together but you know because when when stories like that happen i think poltergeist is a story where their house is buried on an indian burial ground (laughs) and you're kind of like yeah we kind of deserve it yeah (laughs) i can't be mad even
1: (laughs) what's that thing in parks and rec where the one indian (laughs) is like the native american guy is like White people are terrified of curses.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so they bury the cat.
1: Yes. And Lewis has to dig the grave himself, uh, do it by himself, bury the cat, and then he piles up the stones in a cairn and then they leave it.
0: So. Yeah. And Lewis is like, What even happened? And Judd is like, Ah, you'll see. Yeah. <laughs> you'll have a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> So, Lewis goes home and the next day is just fucking around at his house, and who shows up but the cat church? Yep. And, and it's real creepy. It's super creepy. In the movie, this begins a long running list of cat jump scares. Yes.
1: With like canned meows. <laughs> the,
0: the music? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it is so not real.
0: So <laughs> not real to the cat or anything it's doing or what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. But the
0: cat is... Also, this is another problem with the movie because, you know, it's a real cat and it's just kind of cute and funny looking. It doesn't look real to me. Really?
1: Yeah, I don't know why.
0: I thought the cat was real. Yeah. It's just... It looks like a dumb cat.
1: It looks so dumb.
0: Uh, and and I, I understand it because the book, you know, obviously... Uh, the cat is kind of fucked up when it comes back. It's weird.
1: Yeah, it's different now. But
0: it's very subtle. Like, it kind of is uncoordinated. Yeah. Kind of in a drunken Slow.
1: way. Slow. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems kind of stupid now. Yeah. Um, It doesn't do much anymore. It kills a
0: lot of mice now.
1: Yeah. Um, His church's personality is kind of gone. Yeah. And he smells really bad.
0: Yeah, he smells terrible consistently. Yeah. But that's kind of a... A very subtle thing that's probably tough to do with a cat.
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: but to me it wasn't (laughs) effective because it just looks like...
1: It's just the cat jumping out so many times and being like...
0: Apparently they had like five cats or something on set. And each one was trained for a specific reaction. (laughs) So one was the hissing cat yeah they probably had a jumping cat oh
1: my god they
0: had a cat for every every need and necessity
1: (laughs) all the cats on the set all the cats (laughs) um so of course lewis is like the fuck and he ends up talking to judd and judd tells him kind of the story of the pet cemetery and beyond the pet cemetery and talks about when he was a child his dog spot died and then stanny b which is just like some drunk drunk guy Mm -hmm. was just like, oh, your dog died. Why don't you come up with me into the woods and bring your dog?
0: (laughs) Bring your dead dog to the woods with me. Yeah. And he's like, okay, local drunk man, I'll follow you into the woods. At night. At night.
1: (laughs) And then, you know, he does the same thing that he does with, Lewis, He buries the the dog up there and then the next day the dog comes back. And, you know, he tells Lewis, he's like, my dog was never the same after that. Yeah. He was always like there was something off about him and it wasn't quite right. And I almost regretted doing it. And then you're like, the fuck, Judd? Like, why would you take Lewis up there if you ended up kind of regretting doing it?
0: So the movie explanation is he's like, well, you know, it might not be the same, But Ellie's not ready to handle death yet. Yeah. And maybe this will like be a segue to death for her. Yeah. And the book version of Judd says a similar thing. But then we get kind of a better explanation. Yeah. Where he kind of just. is kind of breaks down a bit. Yeah. And he's like, God, he's like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. He's like, I think I visited there and ever since it's had a certain hold on me. Yeah. And I had justifications to myself for taking you there. But I think deep down it just wanted me to take you there yeah and i justified it and i did it and now it's a part of you too yeah i had to cemetery. spread it like
1: i had to share it yeah mm-hmm. which
0: i thought was a very interesting more kind of believable rationale it is that he was possessed to an extent
1: mm-hmm. um and this kind of brings me to a discussion that i'd like to have about masculinity in this book let's talk
0: about masculinity um
1: and there's a great quote from Judd where he's talking to Lewis about the Pet Cemetery and beyond. And he says "Um, they are secret things. Women are supposed to be the ones good at keeping secrets. And I guess they do keep a few. But any woman who knows anything at all would tell you she's never really seen into a man's heart. The soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis, like the soil up there in the old Micmac burying ground bedrock's close a man grows what he can and he tends it so um that line and then others and other things that happen in the book kind of imply this idea that men are more closed off Mm -hmm. um less vulnerable less reachable
0: yeah um
1: than women and that idea and what he says like um, any woman will tell you that she never really knows a man's heart. Mm-hmm. Like she, you can never really know a man because they're so secretive and closed off and like stony. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to me because part of I really like in this story the relationship ship, sheep the relationship <laughs> between Judd and Lewis. Because they do have kind of a close bond. Yeah. And they are open with each other emotionally, too, because they go through a lot of shit in this story. Mm -hmm. And so the male bonding in this story, I do like. Yeah. Uh, And I kind of have a flip floppy perspective on this story and its depiction of masculinity. Because on one hand, it's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that. But the. The reasoning i think is where it's askew stephen king i think kind of takes the stance of men are inherently more closed off and this is just who men are deep down and yeah they like to-
1: that's the soil of their heart yeah yeah and they
0: have to take these burdens on yeah and this is their responsibility uh but i feel like this is just toxic masculinity. And
1: like, that might be true for some men, but it's because they've been like forced into that.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like they don't have to be that way and it's toxic to be that way. And we get, and this leads us into Lewis keeping this whole thing from Rachel and Mm -hmm. not telling her about it. And then kind of feeling this responsibility. Like he's the one that went up there. And then, so when other stuff happens, he is kind of the only one who gets to decide. um, Yeah, which is not good. And then, um, Another thing about Lewis and Rachel's relationship is because I think in a lot of ways, because he is working and she's not, um, she's the primary caregiver for their children. And Lewis is a very benevolent, but disinterested father.
0: Mm, Yeah. Um,
1: Like he does love his children. Like you don't doubt that at all, but there are specific mentions in the book where he's like one time when he's with Gage, he's like, Oh, I can't wait till Rachel gets back. Like, I don't know what to do with him. Yeah. And I'm like, he's your kid, like.
0: And he, Yeah, <laughs> and he's also kind of hesitant to reveal his emotions and love for his children. Yeah, he doesn't
1: want to say he loves him.
0: Yeah, like, there's there's moments where he's alone with Gage, and he'll, like, kiss him on the forehead. But only because they're alone. Yeah. He's very hesitant to show these affections uh, to other people, even his wife, I guess.
1: Yeah, which is very sad.
0: It is. Uh, but.
1: But, I mean, this is the 80s. It is, So, like, yeah. things you know, a a lot of ways are still very traditional and, you know, Rachel is a homemaker and stays at home. So it makes sense that she would, you know, take on a lot of those responsibilities. But um, I think this combination of Lewis kind of feeling like he has these secrets he has to keep, he has this responsibility and also this distance that he keeps between himself and his wife and his kids. it like combines to be terrible
0: yeah it's very problematic and I think viewing this story through the right lens it's a great <laughs> cautionary tale oh, it is of the problems of masculinity and how we oftentimes view it yeah that being you know so I think approaching it the right way this is a really good story it is uh, I think Stephen King kind of Misinterprets this as being the way men are inherently. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not sure about that because. Yeah, you know, you're not sure. No. And one of the reasons Stephen King kind of doesn't like this book that he's talked about is he says it's very overall just pessimistic. It is. And he's kind of like, everything is bad. There's no way to fix it. It's all gone to shit. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't, he says he doesn't really believe that as a person. Yeah. So that's kind of why he doesn't like this story in a lot of ways. So maybe he was more conscientious of these being problems, I guess. You know what I mean? I mean,
1: Stephen King, I have read things about Stephen King talking about how, not that he was a bad father,
0: Mm -hmm. but that
1: he has regrets as a father. Yeah. And that he was not as involved in his children's lives and that. You know, he had this kind of like almost benevolent disinterest in them. Yeah. Um, especially when they were younger. So I think that kind of comes through on the page at least. Yeah,
0: he's very good at translating. I love reading about his books. Yeah. And the thoughts behind them and why he wrote them because there's a lot of times, uh, like we talked about earlier, they're loosely based on real things. Yeah. Real fears, and. Yeah, Stephen King's just so good at translating this stuff to Paige.
1: Yeah. So switching gears a bit, instead of talking about Louis, let's talk about Rachel um, a little bit. She is notoriously afraid and very shy to talk about death.
0: She's anti-death?
1: She's anti-death. It's like a very controversial stance to have. (laughs) (laughs) But Louis, you know, he's a doctor. He kind of views death in a more natural way. And Rachel doesn't view it as natural. And eventually we get kind of some backstory on why she's so upset by the thoughts of death. And it's because as a child, she had an older sister who died. And it was very traumatic for her.
0: And not only died, but suffered Suffered. from, I forget, meningitis. Spinal meningitis. spinal, Spinal meningitis. So she was restricted to a bed and was kind of deformed. Yeah. And not only that, the book really gets into how you know, a prolonged illness like that really affects a person psychologically.
1: And not only that person, but the people that are taking care of them. Yeah. And it's it's actually really fascinating. I loved this part.
0: I did too. Because
1: it was so interesting when Rachel was talking about when Zelda, her sister, was dying and how it was like so awful and it was torture, not just to Zelda, but to them. And like how Zelda was so angry And, and of course being sick and being, and dying does not like, you know, you're not just like an angelic patient who's just like, Oh, here I go. Like off to heaven, Mm -hmm. you know, like it is horrifying to have an illness that's untreatable and to know that you're dying. And so she kind of became a twisted, angry, not quite evil, but just like mean person. She was unhappy. So she made everyone else unhappy. Uh,
0: I, you know, this book its theme, even more so than other Stephen King books, is death. Mm-hmm. And I thought it explored it in different ways really well. It
1: did, yeah.
0: And I, I thought this was one of the most interesting ways, kind of talking about uh, the process of death and how ugly it can be. Yeah. And sad for everyone around it. Mm-hmm. So clearly Rachel is greatly disturbed by this event and yeah. it has just kind of impacted her through her whole life
1: and you find out that she was the only one there when zelda died and zelda started choking and rachel tried to you know get her to stop choking like patting her on the back turning her over all that couldn't do anything and so she died before her eyes yeah and it was just you know horrifying rachel's eight years old yeah and mixing that feeling with relief and wanting Zelda to die just so her torment would be over and also so she wouldn't have to deal with this horrible thing anymore. Um and so and then guilt over feeling those emotions basically it's turned into this hugely traumatic thing in Rachel's life and she finally tells Lewis about it. But um it's really sad.
0: It is. And you know, they had a fight earlier in the book about death where Rachel seems unreasonable. And kind of uh, almost the hysterical wife character. Mm -hmm. But then getting this story, it really uh, fleshes her character out a lot and makes her much more sympathetic. Oh, yeah. So I really enjoyed this part of the book. The movie uh, Zelda is played (laughs) weirdly by an adult man. Adult man. In makeup.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's real weird. It's
0: so bizarre. I didn't even
1: know it was a man when I first saw it because he's, you know, in a lot of makeup and you can't really tell. He just looks like a. He looks like the Wicked Witch of the West mm. from The Wizard of Oz.
0: Kind of, yeah. Which is interesting
1: because in the book there's this reference to Oz the Great and Terrible.
0: Oz the Great and Terrible.
1: Yes, which is how Zelda would say it.
0: And it was a creepy, recurring statement throughout it is, the book. It's
1: very creepy. Uh, but she looks like. The Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. In this movie. Um, but yeah, I was like, why is this adult person playing this like <laughs> Zelda, like child character? It's so strange. A
0: very odd, odd choice. Yeah. So let's get to the part where. Let's
1: get to more death.
0: Gage gets creamed on the road.
1: Gage gets run over by a truck. In case you didn't know that that was going to happen, which I knew that that was going to happen. You
0: called it right I totally beginning. called
1: it. I was like. Well, obviously the, the cat's gonna die because there's a cat on the cover, mm-hmm. and it's called Pet Cemetery. A I mean cat, yeah. Yeah, and then I'm like, ooh, and I bet one of the kids is also gonna die, and they'll bury them in the in the pet cemetery or in the other cemetery. I'm like, ooh, which one is it gonna be? I bet it's gonna be the little boy because it would be sadder.
0: It'd be super sad.
1: <laughs> and it was. It was. Yeah.
0: Gage just kind of wanders out onto the road yeah. when no one's paying attention, and one of those trucks that's speeding down the road uh, runs him over. Mm-hmm. And in the book, it's kind of very startling. We get a lot of flash forwards in the book, yeah, where deaths and things that are going to happen are just told to you randomly dropped,
1: yeah, ahead of time. Yeah. Like you find out that Norma's going to die, Judd's wife, way ahead of time, and then you find out that Gage is going to die too, like at the like. Way before it happens. Yeah. How
0: would you feel about that?
1: I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. It does kind of contribute to the feeling of it being inevitable.
0: Yeah. And like
1: nothing you could do could change it mm-hmm. really. Um. But I don't know if it would be better to be surprised.
0: But to me, I feel like it's almost more of a surprise when it just hits you with it. Because I think part of you is expecting it to an extent. Yeah. So if there's a scene set up of... Oh, they're outside and Gage starts running towards the road. Yeah. You're kind of going to see it happen. But when it's just in the middle of the scene is like, yeah. And unfortunately, Gage wouldn't make it to his second birthday. You're yeah. Like, you're what? like,
1: What? Holy shit. Like, What's you- going on? Yeah. And it yeah. just
0: subtly just drops it in the middle of a paragraph. Mm-hmm. It's disturbingly effective.
1: Uh, the truck driver in the movie is listening to the Ramones yeah. when he runs the baby over. <laughs> <laughs> he's listening
0: to Sheena is a punk rocker. Yes. And this is where what he, a jam. There's a lot of Ramones references in book and movie. Yeah. So, yeah, movie, he's listening to Sheena is a punk rocker. And Stephen King's a huge Ramones fan. In the book, Lewis, as he go, descends into insanity, quotes his
1: spiral of insanity quotes
0: blitzkrieg bop a lot yeah. uh hey ho let's go mm-hmm. it's just kind of his mantra about like let's just go forward and move forward with this yeah. hey ho let's go he says it a lot mm-hmm. and when he checks into a hotel at one point later on he checks in under the name dd ramon
1: uh. who
0: was one of the musicians or the lead singer i kind of forget which member of the ramones mm-hmm. so there are ramones references and then to top it off the ramones wrote and performed an original song for the finale end credits of the movie called Pet Cemetery. Yep, and it's great. I love that song. <laughs> it's just a classic Ramones song. Yes. If you like the Ramones, you're gonna like that song. Yeah, so it's like a twofer. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So uh, Gage is killed to the punk to the, tune of- to the punk rock sounds of the Ramones <laughs> <laughs> and the movie. Oh my god! The acting.
1: Acting. Quotations.
0: (laughs) Gage gets hit and then Lewis drops to his knees in the street.
1: He does like a Luke Skywalker like, no! No!
0: Cut to the sound of Polaroid photos being printed. Yeah. Of different memories of Gage growing up.
1: Weird baby photos.
0: And they're being like dropped onto pavement.
1: Yeah. So that really cute baby is dead now.
0: Yeah. He was so cute. He was
1: very cute. And then they're at the funeral. And, uh... Gage's grandpa, Rachel's father, decides to attack Lewis. Yeah. Just like punches him and then starts kicking him when he's down. It's insane.
0: <laughs> in the book, I love it because he's, he's like, oh, what's the matter? Can't fight an old man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's like kicking him in the like, He's like, back. it's your
1: fault that Gage is dead. You brought this on my daughter. Blah, blah, blah. It's very dramatic. Yeah.
0: And traumatic mm-hmm. for Rachel.
1: And Judd decides to give Lewis a visit around this time. He's like, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) We're all thinking it. We're all thinking it. Don't bury Gage in the Indian burial ground.
0: Yeah. And And
1: he decides to dissuade him from doing that by telling him a story of someone who buried their child or a human in the burial ground. Because, you know, Lewis asks him originally, has anyone ever buried a human up there? And, like, and he did not say it.
0: What? And he like knocks over a glass. He's like, he's of, like, course no way. Who would, like of course not. No way. Who would think of such a thing? Of
1: course he's lying. And so he's like, I do know of someone who this happened to. And he's like, it was this man who his son went to war in World War II and his son died. And when he came back, when they shipped his body back, he buried him in that mythic cemetery.
0: Book version. They go to confront the old man and his resurrected son, and the son is just very, like, creepy yeah. and weird, and he knows things. Yeah. He starts pointing out one by one all the men who show up, yeah. and he's like, oh, I know your wife. She's, like, the target of the town, and, like, yeah. has been sleeping behind your back, and, like, mm-hmm. I know you actually don't have any money, even though everyone thinks you do. He yeah. just knows all this information mm-hmm. and, like, just scares them away because they're, like, freaked out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he ends up being killed by his father later. Yeah. And his then, own
1: father sets the whole house on fire. And yeah. Shoots him and then sh- shoots his son and then shoots himself.
0: Uh, the movie, though, when he comes back, it's very uncertain.
1: Yeah. But he's
0: just kind of a weird zombie man.
1: Yeah. And he's like gnawing on a leg.
0: Where did he get that I leg? I don't know where the
1: leg came from. <laughs> Was it like
0: another leg from the cemetery? I don't know. He's just like weird and sweaty and eating a leg
1: yeah very zombie like
0: uh and <laughs> they show up and quickly just decide let's just burn the house and
1: down. then they just set the whole house on fire
0: and yeah. jed's like no don't don't do that <laughs>
1: <laughs> but but basically he's like lewis don't do it because like timmy was all fucked up when he came back from the cemetery mm-hmm. so don't do it and then lewis is like of course not I would never do that. (laughs) And then he actively starts planning to do that. Cut to
0: (laughs) Lewis breaking into the cemetery.
1: Yeah. And he like convinces his wife to take the kids to go stay with her parents because of course they're all devastated, Rachel especially, um, by Gage's death. And she goes kind of reluctantly and Ellie doesn't want to go. Ellie's Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to go. I've had bad dreams. Like something is telling me that I shouldn't. Like we should stay here. She's
0: getting premonitions. Mm
1: -hmm. Like another
0: kind of famous Stephen King character.
1: So my theory is, and I I haven't read anything about this, so let me know if you've heard anything. Um, But I think that Ellie has The Shining. Yeah. Because this book does take place after Stephen King wrote The Shining. Um, And she's around the same age as Danny is in The Shining. Five, six years old. And she gets these dreams. And in the dreams, Pascal comes to her and tells her what's happening. And she has a dream of her father dying. She has a dream of her mother dying. She has a dream of all of these things. Like, she's precognizant. And so I'm like, I wonder if she has some of The Shining.
0: And her seeing Pascal reminded me of Danny from The Shining and his imaginary friend Tony. Yeah. Who gave him a lot of warnings and premonitions. And The Shining has appeared in various forms in other stories. Mm -hmm. Other characters have had, you know it's never been called that i don't think but essentially the shining so Mm -hmm. i agree i definitely think she has that yeah and maybe that's why lewis is more susceptible too. maybe he has a hint of it like danny's dad in the shining Mm -hmm. i don't know
1: yeah anyway despite ellie's warnings lewis is still like i'm gonna do this So it takes a really long time in the book for this to happen. Like, I feel like it took forever for him to just dig Gage up.
0: Yeah, it was a long process. This is something that is interesting to me because at this point, this is pretty deep into the story. Yeah. And I feel like with most Stephen King books, with Cujo, you can describe it. A woman and her son get trapped in a car with a rabid dog outside. Yeah. Misery. A writer gets trapped by a lot of trapping. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Pet Sematary is the one story that I have trouble describing to people. Yeah. Without giving it away. Yeah. Because him resurrecting his son is in like the last quarter of the book. Yeah. I think that's how a lot of people know the story already. Yeah. Which makes sense. But it's really hard to talk about it because the book and movie are really this kind of almost gothic buildup. It is. Of tension. Yeah. And creepiness. Until a, adding
1: v- layers and layers and layers. Yeah, yeah.
0: Until a very bloody climactic scary ending. Yeah. But the majority of the story is odd ghosty weirdness
1: characters. And, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So
0: I enjoy that about this story that feels a little unique to King's stories. I where do like
1: that too. It's, where it focuses on the characters. It kind of yeah. teases out their hidden fears, their mm-hmm. um, their secrets they you know, unique things about them and then kind of exposes those things and shows us what happens to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's something that's unique to this story that I like a lot. Yeah. Uh, Lewis digs up his son. Yep. It's a really long part of the book. It's interesting, but it's kind of too long.
1: And it's not super important.
0: No. He
1: dinks, digs him up. It's very him. sad. He dinks him. <laughs> <laughs> he dinks him.
0: And then... Carries him all the way, drives him all the way back. Mm-hmm. At this point, uh, his wife, Rachel, back in Chicago, is Ellie's freaking out. She's having these dreams. Yeah. Rachel realizes like
1: something's wrong.
0: Lewis pushed us out of the house. I want to go back. I'm worried about him. And
1: part of her is afraid that he's going to commit suicide.
0: Yeah, that's so, kind of her first main fear, which makes sense. Yeah. So she decides to try to fly back. Mm hmm. She is with
1: in the, the movie, in the
0: movie. Yeah. In the movie, the ghost of Pascal is still around.
1: Yeah. And, and in, he's like guiding her on her journey. It
0: is so absurd. But and he doesn't so funny.
1: really.
0: <laughs> he's just kind of around yeah. and he weir- weirdly like will hold a door open for her. Yeah. When she's get, get catching a flight. She
1: still misses the flight. I'm like, he didn't help her. Yeah.
0: My favorite part is when she's trying to rent a car and the yeah. woman's like, we don't have anything. And then Pascal's like, what about the, um, uh, the, ni- right the 1985 Toyota Corolla there? And she's like, well, I do have a 1985. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so weird. It's so dumb. And absurd.
1: Rachel ends up in Boston from Chicago, but misses her flight from Boston to Maine. And so she rents a car and ends up driving but she feels like something is trying to stop her from getting there.
0: Yeah, because her car acts up and mm-hmm. she's falling asleep at the wheel. So she, even though she doesn't know exactly what she's worried about or what's going on, she's getting a sense of this darker, larger power that's at play.
1: Yeah. And as Lewis is taking his son into the woods, we get this very creepy scene where he comes very close to something huge. Yeah. And he doesn't know what it is because he can't see it. But he describes it being at least 60 feet tall and having glimmering eyes and just being some kind of monster.
0: I loved this. I, I This is one of the parts I very remember. I distinctly remember reading as a kid. Yeah. Because it's just, I, I don't know, alluding to the enormity of this... Creature demonic afterlife creature. Yeah. And what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. you know, because it's one thing to be like, oh, it's this powerful mystic force. Yeah. But then to actually connect it to a physically huge being creature. Being yeah.
1: Ripping trees out. And yeah,
0: that that's just like in the woods. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought this was very.
1: It was very effective. It was, I was scared. OK, good. <laughs> <laughs> I was scared.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed that a lot.
1: Lewis um, pushes through, though. He's like, mm-hmm. I still got to do this.
0: I'm sorry. I just do. Do you remember the face in the movie?
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> it was just such a bad effect. Just this face comes out of a rock.
0: Yeah. Whose face was that? I don't know. Because in the in the book, there's like a creepy demon face that yeah. he sees like in the mist. But this was just a man's. Like a bald-headed man's face.
1: was weird. That just
0: screams out of a rock. Yeah. And he's like... Okay. Whoops.
1: <laughs>
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing this. He buries Gage, and then he goes back home, falls asleep.
0: Everyone keeps falling asleep.
1: They do. Judd also falls asleep. Judd is like, I know... It- you know, Lewis is going to do and I have to stop him, but then he falls asleep. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, he's just old. Is that it? Yeah. Or is it some malevolent force or is he just old? <laughs> <laughs> he's
0: like sitting on his porch, like four beers into a six pack. Yeah. Falling asleep. And he's like the demonic forces <laughs>
1: are trying to put me to sleep. <laughs>
0: They're trying to get me to sleep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Lewis succeeds at burying his son. Makes it back to his house.
1: Falls asleep. Falls
0: asleep. Who comes back?
1: We hear the patter of little footsteps. (laughs) Look who's walking now. And then something comes in Lewis's room, grabs Lewis's doctor bag, pulls something shiny out, and then leaves.
0: I love the cuts in the movie because they're so weirdly framed because they're only trying to show the hands.
1: Yeah. But
0: it's a toddler, so he doesn't have long arms. Yeah. So, so they're super like, close ee. on that. Yeah. It's weird.
1: <laughs> it's very strange. Uh, but Judd wakes up to a noise and realizes that he's too late. Yeah. He fell asleep. He knows that Gage has come back from the dead and this Gage and the cat church kind of tag team on this. Yeah. I
0: love this. Part. Yeah.
1: Where they kind of, um, the cat trips Judd. Yeah. Kind of grabs this, Cleaver uh, knife from the kitchen because he's like, I got to protect myself. And Gage kind of comes at him. In the movie, Gage is under the bed. Yeah. And then when Judd tries to look under the bed, he just like saws his ankle. Yeah. Ugh, it's Ugh. so gross. He just
0: like cuts into his Achilles tendon like Ugh. it's a cake, like a birthday cake.
1: Nasty as fuck. Uh,
0: and then also he like, Slashes Judd across the open mouth.
1: Yeah, I didn't like that.
0: I, I wasn't no. sure if you were looking at that part.
1: <laughs> I quickly looked away. Yeah,
0: Judd like screams and then he jokers his mouth.
1: Yeah, and then he starts like sucking his blood and like chewing at his throat. <gasps> yeah,
0: he like bites a chunk. I'm like, what?
1: What is this? Very child? zombie. Very yeah, zombie. very
0: very zombie.
1: Mm-hmm. In the book, uh, Gage talks to Judd <sighs> and his like you fucked with me once, old man. I'm going <laughs> to fuck with you now. Except he says it like, you fucked with me once. like, Because <laughs> he's a baby. Yeah. It's so weird. He's like, your wife was a whore. <laughs> She's burning in hell. Yeah. it's And then he kills him. So casual. Yeah. And then soon after that, Rachel arrives in her rented car. And she promised Jed, because she called Jed, because she was like, I don't know where Lewis is. And Judd's like, come to my house and we'll figure it out.
0: Come to my murder house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So she goes to his house first instead of going to her own house. She comes in. She knows that something's wrong because Judd's not answering. And she sees church inside and is like, how did this cat get in here? And then she hears something like someone moaning. And she thinks that it's (laughs) Judd.
0: Yeah. So she goes up to investigate, opens the door. And what does she find but her dead creepy sister zelda
1: yeah and it looks like her sister but then before her eyes it changes and she sees that it's gauge which was interesting to me
0: yeah and and kind of you know almost implying that this mysterious force that lewis has now just started calling oz the great and terrible yeah which is so creepy it is uh almost like her sister was possessed by it,
1: yeah, too when she was dying mm-hmm.
0: like her suffering and pain how it
1: twisted her
0: twisted her into this almost uh
1: vessel demonic for entity
0: yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and that it has returned now as gage yeah, so I thought that was very interesting too. it
1: was interesting and then she sees that it's gage and she's like, my baby and like takes him into her arms. And of course he has a scalpel. Yeah. And he just stabs her. And she's like, stab,
0: stab, stab, stab.
1: Which, so I was just like, we have so many scenes of Rachel <sighs> coming back. Mm-hmm. Like she's missing her flight. She's on her way. It's like she's, you know, it's this intensity where we're in her perspective. We're following her. She finally makes it. And then they just kill her right away.
0: Yeah. I was
1: like, are you kidding me?
0: <laughs> I was rereading this. And I was once again cramming for the end. Yeah. When I got to the parts of Rachel trying to get back to Maine, I'm like, I, I, rem- I remember what happens. Okay. Scan, 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 scan. Yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> I'm like, why did they give us all this buildup if you were just going to stab her immediately? And like, she has no idea what's going on. So of course she sees Gage. She immediately is just like, my baby. And grabs him. Yeah. And he just stabs her. And I'm like, there's no nuance in this.
0: <laughs> it's very... Uh, just, I don't want to put it, like, dramatic, like, ir- not ironic, but kind of...
1: Yeah, twisted. A,
0: twisted, yeah. yeah. Uh...
1: Lewis wakes Lewis up. Lewis wakes up from
0: his nap. <laughs>
1: Too late. That
0: sleeping piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's asleep. Everyone just keeps sleeping.
1: And he realizes pretty quickly, because he sees the footprints, and he sees the car at Judd's place, and he knows that Gage came back, and he knows that something is wrong.
0: And he got a call from... Uh, Rachel's dad
1: Asking if she made it home Mm -hmm. And then In the movie Gage calls him Oh yeah Two year old demon baby Just dials on that Like landline And is like Hey daddy Wanna come over and play Mm -hmm. Basically Um, And so Lewis kind of fills a syringe With uh, Lethal A lethal injection
0: Of morphine I think it is
1: Kills church
0: Yeah okay So Real quick Two things he approaches Church in the movie. He gives the worst line I've ever heard in my life. He gives Church a steak yeah. to eat and distract him, and he's like, "Eat up, Church. It's Thanksgiving Day for cats."
1: Yeah, and then but kills only him.
0: cats that have come back to life. And then he
1: like, yeah, kills him. And I'm like, like what?
0: What are you saying? You're
1: <laughs> he <laughs> like, should have done something even like cheesier, but more classic, like something like this cat has had enough of his nine lives. It's like he reached <laughs> the end or something like that. Yeah.
0: Not, not it's, Thanksgiving, it's, it's for, thanksgiving cats. Giving day for cats that have come back to life. Yeah. Um, this kind of raised like a weird question for me though, where, you know, church was helping gauge. Yeah. Kill Judd, Judd and Rachel, mm-hmm. but like was just kind of back to being a stupid cat and let, Lewis and Lewis was like him. tricked
1: by food. He was like, Ooh, food. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It was kind of weird. For, I'm like, cause that, it kind of implied that maybe church is more sentient than we've given him credit for. Yeah. But then in this moment, he's just kind of a dumb cat again. So I wish, I wish church was like more cunning. Yeah. and, a, and like thinking like everyone
1: underestimated him and then he's like the worst
0: everyone took church for granted and then
1: church kills everyone yeah not (laughs) gauge the cat kills them
0: i love it i I love it
1: let's go there
0: yeah (laughs) uh louis kills church he goes inside the house uh finds everyone dead yeah gauge attacks him
1: Mm -hmm. in the movie he like Falls from the ceiling and just like falls on top of him, and it's clearly a doll. He like
0: shoots from the ceiling. Yeah,
1: it's also, clearly a doll.
0: He hung Rachel.
1: Yeah, I don't know how he did that. He's a two year old. Even if he's possessed, I don't think he can like lift her into the attic and then hang her. Like it was just very. Like, how did he get
0: up there? How do you how do he pull down the attic?
1: I don't know. How did he get her up there? Is True. the more important question. I
0: mean, if he tied her and then like pulled her up. But like, how did he even get up there? Yeah. Anyway.
1: Anyway. <laughs> uh, we, they watch have a, we watch this We watch a grown
0: man wrestle a doll <laughs> in close-ups <laughs> and like holding the scalpel at his face and be like, yeah. ah, dr- ah, and then like throw the child once again like Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he jettisons the child into a wall, where he then. Uh, syringes him lethal injects him
1: yep and then lewis is like okay i'm gonna set the whole house on fire (laughs) and i'm gonna take rachel out and i'm gonna bury her in the micmac burying ground because the problem with gage was not that i buried him there and brought him back to life it was that he had been dead for too long yeah so he got fucked up but i'm gonna rachel just died she's fresh i'm gonna bury her now fresh meat and she'll be fine I'm yeah. like, he unbelievable fuck.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, what does he have to lose?
1: Yeah, I mean, he still has a daughter.
0: True. Like,
1: everyone forgets about Ellie at the end.
0: Yeah. And
1: I'm like, I'm concerned about her.
0: Oh, yeah. I kind of forgot about her, too. Yeah. Poor Ellie. I know. That'd be interesting to get a... Uh...
1: A sequel following her perspective. Yeah. And how fucked up she is now. Because we
0: got Doctor Sleep, which was the Shining sequel about Mm -hmm. how Danny's fucked up now as an adult. Let's get the Pet Cemetery sequel where Ellie's (laughs) fucked up. Yep. And also probably has the Shining.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And so he buries her and then we get this epilogue in the book and in the movie where Lewis is just waiting for Rachel to come back Mm -hmm. and then she comes in the door. And in the book, he's turned away from her and he just feels a hand on his shoulder and he hears someone say darling. Yeah. It's creepy. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. In the movie, like he sees her come in and then they kiss
0: while her goopy eye socket it
1: is like dripping. Yeah. And then she grabs a knife and then it cuts.
0: I read that they actually refilmed that ending to make it more scary. Gruesome. Yeah. Cause the producers thought like, Oh, it's not creepy enough or mm-hmm. scary enough. Hmm. So they were like, "Add more eye goop." <laughs> <laughs> I want fifty percent more eye goop.
1: So, can we talk about the ending? Because all of this craziness happens in like thirty pages.
0: Yeah, it's very condensed at the end. It
1: is condensed, and honestly, I don't know how I feel about like the baby killer. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really a fan.
0: Yeah, um, so much of uh, so much of what Stephen King does well in horror terms is kind of the weird subtleties and nuance of like what actually scares you deep down. Yeah. One of the scariest parts of the book was when he comes home at night and is in is in his dark garage yes. trying to find a light switch. It is.
1: It's very scary. It's very creepy.
0: Yeah. And he talks about like, what if a hand just touched me right now? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like I think about that all the
1: time. <laughs> you know me, Stephen King. But like for me, I don't know. Like the whole, it reminds me of like the Chucky thing. Yeah. Like almost the, the, the doll baby thing. Mm-hmm. And I get that it's like a twisting of the innocent. Yeah, And that's supposed to be horrifying. But to me, I was like, once this happened, I was like 100% less scared.
0: I agree. Um,
1: I don't know. I don't know. I just, I thought the parts when he was like walking through the woods and with that like creepy figure. And then even those hints that there's some kind of malevolent force that's orchestrating this whole thing. But then when it, when it becomes personified in just this like tiny baby, I'm like, uh,
0: Yeah, it's very goofy in a way, and I wish we kind of got more, like, we get that scene where he's telling Judd all the things he knows, Mm -hmm. which was somewhat effective, and I wish we maybe got more of that creepiness, Yeah, but instead we just got stabby, stabby murder baby.
1: Yeah, and I wasn't really a fan.
0: No, I wasn't as afraid at this part. In the book, for sure. Uh, I. It felt like a, a good payoff to an extent just having a lot of craziness happening at this point Yeah, because the book is such a slow burn. It is. So in that way, it could have been scarier, though, I agree. And it mm-hmm. wasn't totally like I said, the way he kills church. I love them as a tag team. Yeah, Gauge and Church, like mm-hmm. a cat and a baby. Yeah, it kind of evens the odds a little bit. I so like I, it. I wish I wish Church was still involved in that final climax. Yeah, you know, and mm-hmm. I, maybe that could have taken Lewis off guard more, and maybe it would have been more, you know, more anticipation and stuff. And
1: I wish Rachel hadn't died so quickly. Like yeah. I was kind of disappointed in that as well.
0: Yeah, because what was I, I? You know, it's it's a lesson for Lewis. Like, oh, you fucked with this, and now your wife is dead also. Yeah. But... But
1: he doesn't learn anything. He doesn't. <laughs> no.
0: Not at all. mm mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a little lukewarm on the very end. I appreciate that a lot happens, and it is kind of a payoff to the audience who has kind of seen what's going to happen or kind of has been... Waiting. Yeah. But it's not as effective as the rest of the story, in yeah. my mind.
1: So which one is better? Do we have to... Even so, I have it. to
0: really think about this one.
1: <laughs> the movie is not good. I'm just going to put that a... out there. Like, I mean, it's campy, so it's kind of fun.
0: Mm-hmm. So it is a
1: fun movie to watch cuz it's funny. Yeah. But the book is so much more effective at creating that tension and that fear, and you know, Stephen King has a has a gift yeah. of creating that horror out of just small moments, and I, that's what I love. And I think that's the reason I don't like that final scene because i love those small normal-ish moments that are turned into the creepy
0: Mm -hmm. i totally agree uh i i really still enjoyed this book a lot rereading it and i was curious because when we read christine you weren't a huge fan of it no and i knew this was better than christine but i still wasn't sure if how you would feel about it Mm -hmm. so i I was kind of wondering like On your on
1: my scale, on
0: your Stephen King scale or your book scale. Like, how did you
1: I mean, I think The Shining is his best. Yeah, because it just does the creepiness so well. And then I really like Misery as well. Mm -hmm. And then I'm trying to Oh, Cujo. I actually really liked Cujo. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it was about it, but I just really was into it. Um, and Carrie, I liked a lot too. And then Pet Cemetery was also good, but the ending just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Like if the ending had been different, I think I would have been like way more on board. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, yeah. I like the Gothic horror creepiness of it. And actually, interestingly enough, they're coming out, they're making another.
1: They are. Pet
0: Cemetery in 2019. Yeah. It's like already filmed, I think. So we might be getting a trailer for it soon. Mm hmm. And I'm really excited about this because...
1: Maybe we'll do a bonus episode.
0: Yeah. I think this is possibly the worst Stephen King movie
1: Mm. that I've seen
0: at least. (laughs) And there's a lot. But for me, this had like the most potential and was the most wasted in potential. Especially
1: with the actors.
0: (laughs) Oh, the actors are so bad. But... I feel like this movie, you know, having watched Hereditary, which is another slow burn of a movie that yeah. deals with like a family and is honestly only generally creepy until the end.
1: You're like, this is what it could be.
0: Yeah, I'm like, this is a great example of how to do it well, this kind of gothic horror, creepy, mm-hmm. slow burn. And I hope I, I'm crossing my fingers that the new one does that well. I, I don't know what your thoughts are i don't
1: know i don't know if i could watch it if they did it well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'd be too scared <laughs> i am very afraid
0: yeah but that's fair yeah <laughs> so uh we're both book i i think book, yeah the book is better without a doubt there's yes. no nuance to this
1: watch the movie when you're drunk
0: <laughs> yeah it's fun for sure <laughs> lightning round
1: lightning round
0: Okay, so first and foremost, <laughs> I have to talk about this weird painting. Oh my god. I first noticed it very subtly in the flashback scene of Zelda when in the, movie. in the movie, sorry, when Rachel is running down the steps after Zelda dies. I actually paused it and rewound it. I'm like, what is that painting on the wall? Cuz it looks like a young girl in a blue dress but with the head of an old man <laughs> in a top hat.
1: Yeah, it's so weird. It's
0: very odd. I was like, what An old man with a top hat face on a young girl's body. What is this? And they show the
1: painting like two or three times. Yeah.
0: And then later when she's talking on the phone in the present day, Rachel. Yeah. They specifically show it over her shoulder very specifically. And I was like, whoa, that's a much better shot of it. Yeah. Cut to when in the movie she shows up and first sees Zelda in Judd's house and is freaking out. And then it is revealed to be Gage. Gage is wearing that outfit. Yeah. He's he wearing the, the blue dress with like a little top hat. It's I was like, weird. what is this? What, what is going on? And it was only after reading about it later that we found out that was a painting of Zelda before she got sick
1: it doesn't look like her considering they had a man play her <laughs> a full grown well man. maybe
0: that's why maybe that <laughs> it was has the
1: face of an old man it has
0: the face of a full grown old man <laughs> maybe that's the rationale but why i was, would it
1: why would zelda be in a top hat
0: it was such a bad yeah it was such a bad painting and then to draw focus on it and make this uh, tie in, tie in connection to it was very strange. It was but so weird. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, in the book, Lewis has this habit of drugging his wife. Uh, <laughs> I feel like Rachel is always portrayed as being a little hysterical and yeah. needing of a sedative. He's always he's like, "Honey, let me give you a Valium." And yeah. She's like, "No, I'm okay." And he's like, "No, you need." This value. I'm <laughs> giving it to you. And then when Gage dies, they keep giving her like shots yeah. and like putting her out and like calming her down. And I'm like, Jesus, if you can't handle like someone grieving, then just fucking like don't even try. Like let her be herself.
0: Yeah. I'm like, this can't be healthy to just keep drugging her. Yeah. Cause she's sad.
1: Yeah. This is not acceptable. <laughs> it was
0: not healthy. Uh, a little fun, interesting movie, Factoid. Kind of gave us a glimpse of maybe what this movie could have been. Originally, George Romero was tied to direct this movie. Oh, man. I know. And Bruce Campbell, star of the Evil Dead movies, was supposed to star as Lewis. Wow. Now...
1: I feel like anyone would have been better than Lewis, honestly. True. (laughs) I was going to
0: say, Bruce Campbell's very campy and kind of over dramatic and weird. So I don't know if he would have been convincing Mm -hmm. uh, in this role, but he certainly would have been more entertaining. Exactly. And George Romero would have been a much better director in terms of vision. Yeah. So kind of a sad missed opportunity of what could have been.
1: Yeah. Uh, There's this whole like side thought that Lewis has in the book when he's like digging up Gage and everything he's like oh if Gage comes back to life we'll go to live down in Florida and like live in secret and I'll work at Disney World and I'll be like a doctor at Disney World and he has this whole dream of he and Gage like patrolling Disney World trying to like revive people that have heart attacks at Disney World (laughs) and he's like Disney World's physician and it's this whole fantasy and I'm like what is this fascination with Disney World
0: It's just really his total descent into insanity. No, he's
1: so crazy. He's so nuts at that point.
0: (laughs) And I kind of love it for that reason. Yeah, (laughs)
1: she's like, she's like, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to live our dream. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So effective, but really weird also.
1: That's lightning round.
0: That's lightning round. And that's the episode. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to it.
1: This was very fun.
0: I'm glad we got to do another uh, Stephen King. Yes. And for Halloween, too. And next week we'll be doing two next weeks. episode <laughs> two weeks. I caught myself <laughs> in two weeks. We'll be doing the exorcist.
1: I am a lot more afraid of the exorcist than pet cemetery. right I now. have
0: a feeling it'll be more effectively scary.
1: Oh God. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so check out that episode to hear Adina's
1: Adina's reaction. Adina's descent into madness. <laughs> uh,
0: if you like the podcast, please uh, on iTunes, give us a rating, review the episode, review our podcast it really helps with our rankings and for more people being able to find us.
1: Send us an email. We're to credits pod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. At, that's cover2credits with the number two on mm-hmm. Twitter. And we're also on Patreon. We love supporters. We love friends. Please reach out to us in whatever way you can if that's an email, if that's a review, yeah. if that's becoming a patron. We love knowing that you are listening and you're enjoying our episodes or any feedback that you have. Yeah. And we just love it.
0: We love suggestions. So The Exorcist next week was a suggestion from a friend of ours, Deanna. Yeah. So, yeah, we love doing suggestions because we love doing what you want to hear. So please feel free to send them, whether you're a patron or not, uh, first time listener or not. We love it. Yes. And thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. See
1: you next time. Bye.
0: Bye.